Welcome to Relate Your Research, the online podcast for social work researchers. The aim of this podcast is to make social research accessible. Whether you're a social worker, a psychologist, an educator, a health practitioner, anyone, this is for you. Even a parent who might like to find out more about social issues. Conversations are not scripted and are produced to create authentic conversations. We're branching into the ECD field of research. This is going to be part of a series covering a variety of relevant topics related to early childhood development. This means that you'll expect to find our regular Relate Your Research episodes in and amongst early childhood development episodes. We look forward to having you on this journey with us. I'm Jessica Renasson, and research should be relatable. Today, we have Teresa. She did a previous episode on her master's research. We'll put a link in the description for that, looking at common diseases of lifestyle and that the effects of that on early childhood development. But today, we are talking about parent-to-child transmission of HIV and AIDS, which is really a topical issue. It's one that we don't tiptoe into lightly, but we know that in South Africa, it's a really important topic. So maybe you could give our listeners who haven't heard your background just a quick intro into who you are and how you came to work in early childhood development. Okay, no problem. Um, So I am a dietitian, qualified dietitian. Um, and I'm currently working for the Department of Health in Port Elizabeth. However, I've also just finished my master's study, um, as you said earlier, particularly focusing um, at lifestyle diseases and childhood obesity. So I've got quite an interest in ECD. And before starting my master's, I was quite involved with an NGO that sort of trained ECD practitioners and also as the Department of Health, we do a lot of training, nutrition training um, with ECD practitioners to try and target this really crucial um, age range. So, yeah. Fantastic. So our topic today is on um, parent or mother to child transmission and and we're talking about breastfeeding specifically here and the role of breastfeeding support groups i think a good place would for us to start would be defining this term that pops up um, often when you're talking about breastfeeding and talking about um, hiv is pmtct am i saying it correctly yeah so uh pmtct Um, stands for Prevention of Mother-to-Child Transmission of HIV. Um, It's also known as EMTCT, or Elimination of Mother-to-Child Transmission of HIV, Um, and sort of developed into that because as a country, we'd really like to eliminate any risk of HIV being given from a mother to her baby or her child. So when we're looking at transmission from a mom to a child or a baby, um, there really are four areas or stages that we like to focus on um, when making sure that there's no risk of, of transmission. And the first one of these stages is during pregnancy. So um, a mom and a baby in a womb actually don't share blood. Um, a lot of people don't really know that um the blood gets really really close to each other the mom's blood and and baby's blood but they each have their own blood supply um 
However, they, they do come into really close contact in the placenta. And if a mom is HIV positive and she's pregnant, um, this is why it's really important for her to tell her doctor. Um, she also needs to take her HIV treatment every single day. And if she does do this, it eliminates the risk of passing that HIV that she has in her blood to her baby. Then the second stage would be during um, birth or delivery. Um, and they can obviously be a lot of blood at this time, um, which is why it's so important that the mom is taking her medication before delivery to make sure that the viral load or um, the amount of virus in her blood is extremely low, which then also then eliminates the risk at this stage. Then our third stage would be just after birth when the mom starts breastfeeding for the first time. Um, if the mom has been taking her medication and the viral load in the blood is very low, again, this eliminates the risk of transmission um, and the baby receives the breast milk, um, yeah, which is obviously the best milk that he, him or her could possibly have. Um, so we really want to promote uh, breastfeeding even if mom is HIV positive. So then our last stage would be a few weeks to months after birth. Um, if mom is HIV positive, the child will be checked regularly for HIV at the clinic visits, which is why it's so important that you attend all the clinic visits. However, if mom is taking her medication daily as instructed and her viral load or the amount of virus in her blood um, should then stay very low. Um, it's it's only if this amount of the virus starts slowly increasing, the medication will normally be adjusted um, if there's any risk. So also important for her to um, attend the clinic at her appointments to make sure that this stays low. So even if mom is HIV positive, breastfeeding is still the best for her baby as long as she's taking her treatment correctly. Um, there is a higher risk of a child dying from diarrhea or vomiting um, from incorrect formula preparation um, and, and poor hygiene practices associated with formula preparation than the risk of a child getting HIV um, if a mom is following her treatment correctly and breastfeeding. Thank you for that overview. I think something that we need to talk about is um, a buzz phrase that often pops up in the last while when you're talking about early childhood development is this idea of the first thousand days. What does that mean for you as a dietitian and how can those working in the sector better understand that um, within this context? Well, the first thousand days of a baby's life start actually at the conception until the age of two. So if you work it out, um, the thousand days is made up of the nine months of pregnancy, which is 270 days. Then we add the first 365 days for the first year after birth, and then another 365 days for the second year after birth, which then gives us a total of a thousand days. So... Yay, a thousand days. What is important about this? Well, um, these are really actually some of the most important days of a child's life because it is during these thousand days that the child's brain grows the most and the fastest. So brain growth is exponential during these thousand days. Therefore, it's so, so important for both mom and baby to receive the right nutrition and care during these thousand days because it ultimately determines the child's brain development and their cognitive potential and ability. 
So you're literally molding this child's brain during these thousand days. So that is why we focus on good nutrition, health, education, stimulation, and care in the household, um, and all of these sort of factors during this time. Um, the first thousand days, or at least um, the two years after birth, where brain development is occurring rapidly, is one of the reasons why we support breastfeeding 110%. Um, Breast milk just has so many benefits for both mom and baby. But one of the amazing things that not many moms know is that breast milk contains certain fatty acids or lip, um, lipids, which play a role in brain development. And these are things that you can't find in a tin. You can't find these things in formula. Um, and there's just growing evidence that breastfeeding can improve brain development and growth by, by 20 to 30% even. So, yeah. Getting back to ECD before I go off on a breastfeeding tangent, um, ECD practitioners have a huge role to play um, with all children, but especially those aged two years or under. Um, practitioners are just, they're involved in the nutrition and the food that the child receives. They're involved in the love and the care received at their center. And of course, they're involved with correct stimulation and education during this time. So um, as dietitians, we know that stunted growth after the age of two, which is um, yeah, just the child being short or not growing correctly, is really difficult to correct. Um, and there's a lot better chance of correcting poor, poor growth if we identify it before the age of two than after this age. So just to reiterate, the first thousand days is prime time for um, intervention, definitely. And are you seeing breastfeeding mums often? Is this something that is common in our communities or is it something that you're not seeing as often? Um, yeah, we, we are seeing quite a few breastfeeding mums. Um, it's normally quite common. Um, mums will come in um, the first three days after they've given birth and then normally after six weeks again. Um, and yes, one of the questions we always ask is, are you still breastfeeding? Um, if not, why? Um, sort of just exploring that. So many, many moms are still coming in in the initial phases, but we have identified that um, around the 14-week age group, um, there seems to be quite a dip in um, breastfeeding rates and we sort of attribute this to a lot of breastfeeding myths that are out there in these communities. So you're saying that in some ways parents need support right to be able to continue breastfeeding past this 14 week mark? Of course yes. Yeah. So what would breastfeeding support have to then do with HIV transmission? Okay, well, simply put, um, a lot. <laughs> we spoke um, earlier about that there are not many ways that a child can get HIV. We've spoken about those four phases. Um, and these stages are generally very closely monitored as long as a woman is attending her antenatal class, um, sorry, appointments, and she is being seen at the healthcare facilities. So, but one of these phases that we spoke about was breastfeeding. Um, and we also spoke about earlier is that if a mom is compliant and taking her HIV treatment as prescribed by her doctor, the viral load will stay low and breastfeeding is then safe and it's, of course, the preferred choice. However, moms, many of them, 
um, stop breastfeeding due to this lack of support we're talking about. Um, it can be because of a lack of support at home um, and from family, or it could be from clinic or medical staff, um, as well as from her actual community and her neighbours and the women that are in her, her life, really. So um, why would stopping breastfeeding or a lack of support be a problem? Well, by stopping breastfeeding or starting to introduce foods and other milks um, within, like sort of taking the place of breastfeeding before the age of six months, we call this um, mixed feeding. Even if we just do this occasionally, it increases the risk of HIV transmission to the baby because a baby's stomach and the intestines are definitely not mature yet. Um, so they can't really handle these foods and ultimately it causes damage to the lining of the intestines. Um, which not only increases the risk of food allergies later on in life, but it also provides sort of an entry point for the HIV virus to, to pass through. So we're then sort of encouraging HIV transmission. When compared to these foods, breast milk, on the other hand, is readily available. The nutrients are in an ideal form to be absorbed directly. So very little processing is needed. So... Yeah, we don't, we, we, there's no risk with breastfeeding. So um, let's be real though, breastfeeding is not easy for everyone. And being a new mom is definitely not easy, especially if it's um, the first time you're doing it. So without support from family, community and health staff, without the right knowledge and the right practices being taught, um, and with all the myths and false information about breastfeeding and HIV out there, we're putting our mothers um, of our communities in a really difficult position and on top of it all we're increasing the risk of HIV transmission and our statistics are just going to rise. Um, as a community we need to start talking about these things, we need to start having conversations about breastfeeding, conversations about HIV. Um, let's take the taboo and the fear and the mis uh, misunderstanding out of this topic and rather start supporting women and supporting mothers in this area. Sure. So you're in the Eastern Cape. Have you seen much of that happening on that side? The support, yes. Um, so we have um, a project which was initially started with UNICEF and the Department of Health took over. Um, this project called Sake Setu came about. And it's really through this project that we're seeing a lot more conversations going on. Um, so Sarko Setu itself is a movement that was developed not only by UNICEF but by concerned mothers, teachers, caregivers um, in conjunction with an NGO and the Department of Health. Um, and basically these um, role players all participate in dialogue and conversation about child health and development. So um, the name of the movement, Sarkozy can be translated from Kosa um, to It Starts With Us, We're Building Our Own. So the project was initially started through this multidisciplinary collaboration. Um, and then basically all of the communities where we had these, these groups um, also then participated. So the idea merged as a part of a conversation with local volunteers who work with children in Nelson Mandela Bay. 
and they realized they could, with the support of a trained mentor, share really valuable messages on relevant health topics amongst one another. So topics like HIV, like breastfeeding. Um, and the Department of Health's role um, in all of this is to sort of train these members of the community, um, such as our parents and our ECD practitioners, or anyone really, on topics such as HIV transmission, breastfeeding, child growth and malnutrition, um, as well as a, a, a touch on community responsibility. Um, and our aim is to equip the community members with the right information and the right knowledge to allow them to have these conversations and to hold gatherings about these topics and then to speak with knowledge and authority and to correct the myths and the mis misinformation that might be present in their community. And these trained mentors, they just form part of a vital link between the community and the Department of Health. Um, they're sort of this bridge between these two sectors. And the mentors um, become beacons in the community because they're spreading health information and encouraging conversation and providing factual information. So this all allows for change of actions and behaviors that I think the Department of Health would never have been able to touch. They would never have been able to sort of get this change on our own. Um, so through the mentors, uh, communities are really equipped to help themselves from the inside out rather than Department of Health dictating from the outside. Oh, that's so exciting. I think it just, it speaks so much to the power of mobilizing a community and encouraging agency from the ground, um, which is really, really exciting. And participatory research projects these days are needing more and more of that. Um, so I'm really encouraged to hear, and it's, it's definitely something close to my heart. What are some of the findings that you have found, um, any interesting conclusions um, throughout this project that you came, came up with? Evidence base is always helpful. Just personally training practitioners and principals, I've found that as much as I've been training and teaching others, I've been taught so much. Um, I've been I've been just learning so much about community and relationship dynamics and beliefs that actually influence individuals' decisions and actions. So, for example, for years we've noticed that young women stop breastfeeding a couple of weeks after birth of their baby, normally some before fourteen weeks, some sort of after that. But as a health department, we never truly understood why so, so many women were making this decision. Like many just cited that they were returning to work or to school or that it was just a personal preference, which could have been the case for some years. But through this community action and through these support groups in the communities, we discovered um, breastfeeding myths. Um, and then there's sort of these underlying causes in certain communities and cultures. And for instance, one stems from a belief that a woman cannot engage in sexual activity while breastfeeding. Um, and some communities believe that sexual intercourse causes breast milk to become dirty or unhealthy for their baby. So if a mom wants to breastfeed, um, she can't engage in sexual activities. And then it is then unspoken, but it seems that this sort of opens a door to leniency, which then allows the mother's partner or husband to, to seek sexual activity or favors elsewhere. 
So in response to this and to prevent this, many women choose rather to stop breastfeeding to keep their men at home. So as you can see, this singleness impacts a lot more than just breastfeeding and child nutrition. It starts to address HIV transmission risk through um, risk of, of risky sexual behaviors in fathers, um, spreading it into the family to moms. It challenges the idea of what family means as children see their father's behaviors. Um, it looks at the breakdown of trust in a family unit and the household environment. So it really just impacts a lot of things. Um, and this is just one of the many myths that were identified. So it just made things clear that the Department of Health can't change beliefs by just instructing communities and saying what you're doing is wrong. Um, a change in belief and behavior happens over time and it requires conversation and action and examples of these champions um, practicing these things in the community, which is exactly where our soccer safety mentors fit in. How inspiring and I hope for all those social workers out there and um, interested listeners that are tapping into this ECD idea, just the, the value of community and how ECD principles and practitioners can be such a part of, of the health movement actually. What challenges did you notice um, these mothers facing in communities? Um, yeah, maybe you can share with us some of the lessons learned along the way. So sadly, mothers face many challenges in the community. Um, some of them stem from breastfeeding myths, like we've mentioned, and beliefs of family members and other community members. Um, we've, we've heard the story many times over about how Gogo said the child isn't growing fast enough, so mom must start giving porridge, sometimes as young as one month old. So um, other challenges arise from beliefs about the role a man has in raising children or supporting a breastfeeding mom. There's still a strong sense that um, a man provides financially for the family and that's where his role ends. But what about making your partner a cup of tea when she gets up to feed a fussy baby um, for the fourth time that night or taking care of dinner to allow the mother to sleep while her baby sleeps? or taking to the children to school so mum can sleep in a bit. Um, or maybe just offering to fold the laundry. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm pushing it a bit far, the last one. Um, but it just goes to show how our beliefs are so ingrained. That is our belief. That is the man's role. Um, other challenges also arise from a lack of support um, for first-time moms, young mothers or teen mothers, as well as for single moms. Um, it's their first time. They've never done this before. They aren't used to um, attending to another tiny human's every need. Um, they're not used to the sleepless nights or the worrying and the anxiety that her child is healthy and growing or anxiety about getting everything right, which is sort of a pressure that is unspoken in community. And yeah, these are just so many challenges which could be tackled quite easily from within the community, spreading the correct messages, the correct conversations. Amazing. Do you have any practical examples for how this work has impacted ECD centers or the ECD sector? 
Well, um, our first group of trained soccer center mentors were actually ECD practitioners. So this decision was made knowing that these individuals already held quite a pivotal role in their community. Um, it was a role of authority, if you will, and that the community members would respect their advice and their shared knowledge instead of just dismissing it. So it allowed these practitioners to get hold of parents groups or general support groups um, and, and hold these gatherings in, in their centers. So ECD centers became a place of gathering and a place of sharing knowledge and supporting one another. Um, it also empowered practitioners and their groups so, so much. So for example, we had one practitioner offer breastfeeding support groups and public talks along with handing out breastfeeding flyers in her community um, last year's Youth Day just to encourage the youth and young mothers or teen mothers to breastfeed. So this was completely of her own doing. Um, other practitioners have started HIV support groups to help normalize the situation and to help HIV positive individuals to non no longer feel marginalized in their community. You know, it's, it's still quite a, a taboo topic in a lot of communities. So yeah, we've seen ECD centers introducing growth monitoring at their centers and becoming actual growth monitoring sites to assess like they really are um, assisting the Department of Health in this area. So yeah, there's just a lot of collaboration going on and ECD is at the center of it all. Amazing, so inspiring. For our listeners, I know that they would want to ask what, what resources are available to support parents. We're talking about communities and, and this work that you've done is is in some ways based on research, um, but there are also resources available and maybe you'd like to share a bit about that. So we have our soccer search websites, um, which we can link in as well, but it's www.sakesetu.com. Um, but I'm sure Jess, you'll link it in at the bottom. Um, there's also a ton of information on ECD and parenting on the UNICEF website. So if you go to www.unicef.org forward slash parenting, they offer amazing resources on all sorts of parenting topics such as child health and vaccines, the first foods for babies, etc. Um, they also have an ECD resource pack, which is great for ECD practitioners. Um, I'll also send you the link to throw that in at the bottom. And then, of course, um, as the Department of Health, we actually consider ourselves and our trained soccer center mentors as resources. So please feel free to come into the local clinic or to visit your dietitian in your area to get the support and information that you need. So if you want more information about soccer setu or to be put in contact with a mentor in the area, sadly this is only in um, Nelson Mandela Bay for now, then you just fill in an inquiry form on our soccer setu website and yeah, you'll definitely be hearing from us soon. Brilliant. So many of our listeners are also avid researchers, and I have to ask the question, if you foresee research opportunities uh, coming out of this area of focus in early childhood development? Mm, no, definitely. Um, so from a community health perspective, I think it's vital to remember that community health is not all about treating what is 
is already wrong. Um, but a major component is prevention, Preven preventing situations from worsening or developing. And yeah, I think through community interaction, we have the opportunity to prevent the spread of HIV, to prevent the transmission of HIV from mother to child, um, to prevent malnutrition in children, to prevent mothers from stopping breastfeeding unnecessarily, to prevent poor development, um, brain development, which will lead to generations of children who won't reach their full cognitive potential. So my recommendations to healthcare professionals and EC practitioners is to use this amazing tool of community interaction. Um, with a community on your side, you can really achieve wonderful things. So we, you know, we need to share the knowledge. We need to get community involved and we need to get them empowered. And we need to stop stigmatizing and marginalizing HIV-positive individuals. And above all else, we need to support mothers. So, yeah, I just think mothers have this amazing role in breastfeeding um, and their children are basically our future. They're our future generation. So there's so much research, there's so much potential that can come out of ECD. Just, I mean, a couple of years ago, you would never have linked breastfeeding to ECD or HIV to ECD. They just, you know, why would you think HIV and education sectors? There you have it. That is from the, the research, the profession, um, and from the community perspective, the beauty of bringing a multidisciplinary view to early childhood development, but also to breastfeeding and HIV. So thank you very much, Teresa, for sharing with us today. It's really my pleasure. And um, we will we'll continue our journey together. Thanks so much. Thank you.